In today's quest, you will learn why it's not a good idea to show mercy to those that would like to spell your doom. This is the quest for power. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Quest for Power. My name is Scott, and my fellow nerd and genius here with my co-host is... I am Michael. And in case you are new to the show, we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early ages to World War I. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's episode or the, the Session Zero primer before that, you are absolutely missing out. Pause this and go listen to that. It's two hours of consistent destruction followed by so many poor choices in all parties involved. <laughs> Plus, it does provide a little bit of context to this episode. So all the more reason so that way we can all get smarter together. Yeah, a lot of these episodes are going to be linked together. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure we'll say it here and time and time again. But history is not in a vacuum. Uh, that goes for geography and also the times before it. And we have, very as true. humans, a very surprisingly long memory. So, <laughs> and short. But let's uh, let's let's forget the history just for a split second, and let's talk about the the uh, important stuff. So, Michael, it's been it's been a hot minute since we last chatted. So, how have you been? I've been great. I've been, I got sucked into the House of Dragon and I've been really enjoying that show. I know you haven't watched Game of Thrones, but you should at <laughs> least watch this show because I am going to have to make so many references because it is exactly like what we do here. There, there's so many things that you're like, oh my God, that has happened and that has happened. And you can just see how these decisions that people make are going to spell down the road. And that's exactly here. The decisions that have been made last episode are going to continue to cascade to this episode. You know, it's really funny because over this like past weekend, I was looking on just time to kill and I was just sifting through my streaming services and I see it just the big banner for, for the house of dragons. And I was like, you know, maybe and then I just sat down and watched Lord of the Rings extended cut for the first two films. So, you oh, know, you, you got to get in on the <laughs> ground floor here. It is so, so good. It is some of the best setup I've ever seen in a TV show. That is for sure. Well, you know me, I'm excessively the contrarian. So yes, you are. If I if I can't have something to hate that everyone else loves, then I'm pretty sure that my existence is null at that point. So <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe it being so popular and me not watching it is really what's keeping me hanging on here. So <laughs> that very well could be. <laughs> OK, so now with that uh, important banter out of the way, let's talk about episode three. So we've already been through Alaric. So, Michael, what do we got today? Today, we have a man named Atolf, which will be fun for the rest of you to hear me say that over and over and over. It is spelled so many different ways. I've seen Atawulf, Atolf, 
in some other way that I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'm going with Atolf, and it's still going to be messed me up. So you all get to enjoy that. Well, certainly not the only person to have an oddly spelled name and everyone just look at it about three times and just eventually just, they just give up. It's like, uh, <laughs> or like those, um, I used to have a uh, co-worker who had just like, I think it was like a, like a Polish last name or something, but it was just the most like eclectic collection of consonants and i think they had I, I think we were used to just explaining to every single person how his last name was pronounced because it was just so uh off-putting to most people that's funny i could easily see that yeah yeah some names it's just like oh and especially like um as i keep diving into these histories it's ridiculous some of the names that we're going to get across and be like i don't know how you pronounce it especially some of the roman ones they're they're oh. just a little bit nuts well, today should be a little bit shorter episode than last week because, quite frankly, there really isn't that as much written about him as Alaric. Alaric just, you know, set the world on fire and just really pissed off the the Roman Empire, and as a result, they wrote about him quite a bit. Versus Atolf, kind of he he deals with the Roman Empire in his own unique way, as you will see. For um, the main quest, um, when we go down his life, uh, we have to go, of course, to sources because, um, you know, this we get this information from someone. Uh, we have no real new sources this week. We once again have the pleasure of Jordanes and Neurosius. And then, of course, our Victorian pal Gibbon, who likes to put his two cents into everything. Just like us. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like we are the unreliable narrator. And uh, in fact, that's the disclaimer. Up front, there are so many narratives of the life of Avtolf. There are six different ways that I've seen the the, the course of events we're going to go through in, in all mixed orders. There is no, no source has any clue, true idea of what happened. So we get to come up with our truth. Now, uh, much like the House of the Dragon episode last week, um, compared to the book, it was very much dealing with the unreliable narrator and what the what the uh, realm think happened and what actually happened are two different things. So we're going to get a lot of that. I mean, in history in general, that's just full of that. It's written by the victor. It's, you know, and, and sources get lost and they were not, like you said, writing in a vacuum, but yet we sometimes get this information in a vacuum. Must be nice. Also, uh, history is written by the victors. Modern Warfare 2 reference. <laughs> <laughs> I did That's not all know I that. About. <laughs> I know. I, it's such a standard saying. Yeah. It really is like that saying really just like calls back to that. Any history you know, nerd year of two thousand seven, eight, yeah, nine. yeah, back in high school. Any any history nerd though, like they know oh, that yeah. it is said over and over and over again. And yeah, it is the truth. Yeah, death, taxes, idiocy, and truth is written by the victor. History is yes. written by the victor. <laughs> so uh, 
Well, what we know about Atelf is that he was born somewhere because, you know, he existed. Um, we don't know where. I'm going to guess likely Dacia because that's kind of where all the gothic warriors are. That's kind of where G Alaric, again, might have grown up. Again, there's no real clear information. And uh, he grew up some point in his life, probably around gothic warriors. And we really don't get a lot of his um, upbringing that, you know, so we can understand why he does what he does. Uh, however, he narrates our narrative when he reinforces, if you remember last week, his brother-in-law Alaric forces before the sack of Rome when he and Alaric join up, when Alaric's just having his last, you know, I don't know, episode with Rome and he's just done with it. <laughs> yep. Before before we decided to move on to Africa. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, so once they combine together, he takes part in all the festivities that Alaric did. So, you know, part of Sack of Rome, march all the way down to Italy and, uh, and until Alaric's death in 410. One thing we might not have discussed in previous episodes is that the Gothic monarchy is elective and therefore all the queens were considered as consorts of their husbands. They had no real true power and therefore their names were barely even brought up in the record. This will become important as we continue down this Visigothic narrative. And it's very important that like to know that these kings are elected. Now there's an unlike written rule as you continue down in the Visigothic monarchy that like their sons generally are the ones who get elected, but it doesn't always happen that way. You still need to have the official. Yeah. The official support of the people. Yeah, correct. It's just like, yeah, it's, it, it's like a family business. <laughs> It really is. It really but the family is. business is uh, warlording. Yes, raiding and pillaging. So as the burial of the mighty Alaric concluded, the Visigoths chose Atolf to succeed Alaric. Atolf is no Alaric. He made no attempt to match the actions of Alaric to, and it had zero desires of carrying out his plan to invade Africa. He, it really didn't seem to, that he had a defined plan at all. Like when he first came to rule, he just doesn't really do anything. I doubt that he imagined that he would have have to rule over the Gothic people so early on. I think he probably think one of Alaric's children would have ended up doing it. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. Although I guess, and this is something you may have the information on right away, but do we know how old or how much younger rather um Atolf is then Alaric roughly because it sounds like he might be a fair bit younger if that being the case he is considered younger and he's he's considered more good looking so whether you take that younger or not like that's what the sources were saying is like he didn't have the stature of like Alaric in terms of the presence but he was very charming and good looking so it, could be younger. I don't know. They don't probably younger. He's he, he I imagine him his younger. So, yeah. Younger brothers are always better looking, right? No, no, they are not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to very much disagree with you on that. I got to get a jab in there. Um, but it is kind of interesting that, you know, he really had potentially no idea either that or you know maybe he just didn't have anything to do in the beginning because he was so busy diverting the river to 
make a grave and then re-divert it to cover it back up for uh, Alaric. Again, yeah, yeah. That, watch that episode. Yeah, there's a reason we tell you to listen to the previous episode. Yes, it's two hours long, but there's so many bad decisions. And if you like drama, that that's what you get. Yeah, I mean, diverting a river would take quite some time, especially when you don't have a backhoe, you know, at your disposal. Should have just waited a couple, you know, thousand years. Yeah, just another millennia pass by and then then maybe think of even then still don't have enough time. Probably have to wait more than that. Yeah, I'd say a, a thousand years and change, you know. No big deal. Yeah, it's fine. Well, as far as intentions for his rule, Jordanes made up some hoopla that he once had the intention of overthrowing the Roman Empire and establishing the Gothic Empire in its place. But as he was trying to build up these plants, he was convinced that the Goths are too wild and lawless to keep, be capable of ruling the world. And therefore, his intention was to strengthen the Roman power through the Gothic nation. Mm. Well, <laughs> I do agree with the that they are pretty wild. They, or at least Alaric is pretty wild. There's, there's at least that, but... Yeah, I, I can't imagine that strengthening a mortal enemy, while would feel very politicky in the worst kind of way, uh, not good politics. <laughs> no, no, there's no way. I mean, you can kind of see where Jordanes thinks of this, because like as you go through his life, it's kind of what he ends up doing in in a weird way, but. No, why would he say that? Why would you say, oh, my people are too unruly and are we are not good enough? That's like, it's like racism against his own people. And I fully believe, if anything, he's probably like the Goths are better than the Romans because of such the, the, the differences between the two. Yeah, well, I mean, if anyone could have, well, I say if anyone, this person sounds already a little bit mopey, but... I think Atalf, uh, if anyone could have taken down Rome in its entirety, it would have been Atalf just because he had the kind of the groundwork laid for him already. Yes. But we, I guess the, the one thing that in, you know, whether it is, but he, obviously he's not as great of a warlord or commander just because again, we've kind of already said this is probably going to be a little shorter than, <laughs> than Alaric's tale. Yeah. So I'll wager a guess that he's not as effective of a leader, but yeah. maybe he just thought that it wasn't sustainable that to constantly fight against Rome, even if in its weakened state is still a, it's still a challenge, right? Yes, it is. I mean, Al look at Alaric. He was ridiculously powerful and yet he still could never get them to submit or to ally with them. He could never bend Rome to his will, no matter how much he went marching around and destroyed all of it. Well, that could be um, the sources being biased. This is very true, yes. Where yeah. it's painted much more as the Romans being far too proud and not being able to eat crow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, maybe it really is, is that without you know if the bias is flipped the other way is that while things were totally sucky and yeah you know the sack of rome is a real thing that you know rome was not what it once was and that you know their power was seated elsewhere i think that it's 
it's you know potentially reasonable to say on the flip side me being the mostly uneducated about the topic that you know it could just be a mix of roman pride but also the fact that maybe they're just they weren't quite that close to buckling as you know jordanes made it out to be or yeah. or perhaps the other sources but in, in, even if all of that like the crux of it is why uh why would atolf want to strengthen rome after all of the fighting that they did like there is no way I would, if my mortal enemy, I would never be like, you know what? I should help him out. I should really strengthen him so that way he can absolutely destroy me. I. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's not a good look. Now, as you'll see later, I think it's like he went to like work within the Roman Empire. Basically, if he can't beat it, join it. I think that is my, where he is coming along. And he kind of, you can kind of see how he does that. And even though I don't believe Jordanes one bit, it's very clear he had no desire to conquer Italy. He pretty much just got out. After meandering for a couple of years, he decided to get out. And he set out to negotiate with the court in Ravenna, despite them being, you know, the absolute worst to deal with in Alaric's reign. And uh, this time, though, Atolf had a very... Very good chess piece. He had Honoris's precious favorite sister, Gala Placidia, if you remember last episode, as a bargaining chip from their conquest of Rome. And in addition to that, the West is still struggling with the barbarians that are pouring in like Canada into the United States um, and, sp and spreading their influence like wildfire. So Rome still is in this pickle. Just because Alaric disappeared does not mean that their troubles are over. Far from it. Like, if anything, Alaric could have stopped all of those barbarians coming through. No one's stopping them now. Well, it sounds like Alaric just needed to live a little longer. But, I mean, he already had a pretty lengthy life. But, sorry, it's so easy to talk about him and Atolf. So, shifting focus. How, so, yeah. So how do you think this negotiation went? You know, the Goths did have better set of cards this time. He had the emperor's sister. That's pretty big. That's a huge bargaining chip to have your enemy's princess. I feel like just going off precedent here or that the fact, you know, again, he's he's Atolf. I it feels like that this person that he had all the cards and somehow managed to still lose the hand kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And remember that Romans already, you know, have a lot of disdain for the Goss. And as a result, despite the dire situation, uh, the empire, the emperor's new keeper, Constantius rejected with disdain at the thought of even alliance with the Goss. Like, ugh, don't want to even touch that. Ugh, an alliance with Romans. Yeah. <laughs> Yuck. That's what I feel. Yeah, that's what I would be like. Ooh, I don't I don't trust those people. If it was like Survivor, I'm like, he's gonna stab me right when he gets he can vote me off right away when he wants to. So despite this, there's a contradiction in the record where it appears that in the beginning of 412, Atalf left Italy receiving a commission from Honoris to go fight with Jovinus. Jovinus, remember last episode, was an advisor to Honorus, and he pretty much begged Honorus to agree with Alaric's terms. Well, 
since uh, Honoris was proven to be pretty ineffective, he decided to go ahead and make himself emperor, as was the fashion in that time. You know, if you just had a big army, you can go ahead and declare yourself emperor. That's it's just what Rome had so many pretender emperors as, as long as he had a big as long as he had a big army and and they wanted uh more power which of course they did yeah well hey as long as it works well here's the thing is it does it every single one ends up in a violent death and the weak puppet in ravenna continues to hold <laughs> the royal power so i am not sure why you would keep trying it if it it's, isn't it the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again even though it's not working well see that's the thing is it's not it's not you trying the exact same thing it's you seeing other people be like i think i can do that better <laughs> you know it, it, <laughs> i imagine it'd be akin to like you know the the wright brothers right and they see other people making airplanes they're like we can do that better <laughs> Okay. They're just the ones yep. who didn't crash land as badly as the rest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just they beat everyone to the to finally being successful. Well, on his way to port a short end to the reign of Jovinus, Atlas, again, last episode, he remember was Alaric's puppet emperor uh, when he persuaded Atoff to turn on a Honoris to join the Sith, I mean uh, Jovanus, and make a friendly <laughs> arrangement to divide the Empire with him. But no one seemed to tell Jovanus that this was a thing. And he refused to hear any proposal from Atoff. And in fact, he pretty much spit in his face and aligned himself with a man named Saros, who is Atoff's bitter rival. So he turned a potential ally into a very, very big enemy. It just so happened that Sarus had officially rebelled with Honorus and was on his way to support Jovinus. Atolf ambushed him with a small force of 10,000 men against 20. That's it, 20 of Sarus's retinue. And then he proceeded to execute them all with great prejudice. I really thought it was going to be a... 10,000 versus 20,000. Nope. <laughs> That's funny. How, how do you hide 10,000 men? Are you just like, get behind the tree? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you have 10,000 trees. <laughs> and you hide behind each of them. Yeah, it, like no scouts or anything. I mean, I guess he was with this retinue, but yeah, that's uh, that was that's very interesting. Well, sometimes you got to take those easy victories. Yes, yes. And for some reason, Atolf still wanted to get an Honoris' good side. So he realigned himself with him, even though they're constantly just shitting on, on the Gothic people. And he proceeded to slay and send the heads of Jovinus and his brother Sebastian as an early Christmas present to Honoris. Well, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to be the guy that had to carry the decomposing heads from France all the way to Italy? Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, that's a that's a bit of a hike. Maybe, it, and I know this would probably not be the case because it's honestly probably just throw it in a sack. But you could probably like salt the heads, but salt would probably be a lot more valuable back in the day. So, oh yes, it's not like Egypt where you could just dump a bunch of you know where they had so much salt to mummify, and it's not like they would really want to preserve the remains. Maybe they had some sort of embalming technique. I, 
gotta I keep am. it recognizable you gotta you, know exactly yeah what kind of statement you're making <laughs> when you put when you put them on a pike in front of the castle you need to make sure that they're recognizable yeah exactly i mean i don't know the science of decomposing heads despite despite what people may think of me i am in fact not an expert on this <laughs> i'm shocked um, yeah so i think that well shoot maybe they are recognizable after i don't know how long it would take for you to hike from uh what'd you say france to italy yeah like middle That's... of yeah i don't know where in france but somewhere in france all the way to like ravenna wow that's uh it's a, it's a, it's a hike. maybe maybe it was like actually it probably was not winter <laughs> i was gonna say you i think you would have to go through the alps which would not be a fun time no no matter what season you're in and then you gotta should have quit while he was ahead uh, <laughs> oh, oh, good old-fashioned pun which wouldn't it suck though to like to, like where do you stop at night i mean obviously you have your own tents and stuff and to set up yeah. camp but wouldn't you want occasionally to go into like a small inn or something like that and then <laughs> what would the innkeeper do when you've got a bag of heads because you that you can't hide that smell no but i feel like you leave it at the door or like or, how, how would you stop predators from getting to it too Oh, you tie it up in a tree, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, like we did in Scouts where you uh, tie it up like a bear bag. You know, uh, I feel like that has mixed results. There's a reason why you get a bear barrel these days. That is true. That because is a true. friend of mine did that while camping and uh, a raccoon still got to it. So. Oh, that's most unfortunate. Yeah, so I don't know what interest raccoons take in rotting heads, but... Yeah, I feel I feel like you just, you know, you lock it up under like a, a chest, you know, throw it in a bag, buckets, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, yeah, you just the, the head guy doesn't get to go go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you're you're the low man of the totem pole. Or He's the, the head guy because though. you're carrying, you're carrying, a, you're sending a message. So you're either like the best guy or like the worst guy and. In the group to be carrying them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Honoris was pleased with his early Christmas present, and he agreed to a treaty where in exchange for returning Gala to her brother, he and his army would receive a supply of grain. Well, in keeping with Roman tradition, they broke their promise. The grain never came. And the Ravenna court continues to show incompetence over and over and over again. Boy, honestly, I, I think that they should have asked for more than grain. Well, they asked just, for, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but they just remember last episode, they just want to be fed. They, they just need to survive at this point. They're, they're looking for lands of their own and they just want to settle down. And, you know, I doubt they want to fight every single day and fight for every little thing they have. Yeah, it just feels like they could have gotten more. I mean, they got I already got plenty of like golden spices, you know, the last last times. So I think they could have they have princess that they're bargaining with and heads. I think they could have got more, but but it wasn't Alaric. No. That's the key. This is Atolf, not Alaric. 
comparing siblings like you'll never be Alaric. <laughs> but he won't. I mean, yes. Well, it is yeah. that way, but like yeah. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, like Alaric, Atoll finally was pushed past his breaking point into the and he just kept at Gala and began conquering southern Gaul. He conquered cities of Valence, Toulouse, Sporto, and Narbonne, um, basically southwest France is where he was conquering all of those little areas. Um, from both Roman and rebel rebel forces, because remember there is a bunch of rebellions that are popping up. So he's conquering all of that. Doesn't matter who's in the way. So they, <laughs> he's still showing military prowess, despite not being that, I guess, politically savvy. I don't know. Yeah, or well, just militarily experienced. So I guess this yeah. is a good time. Better late than never to keep up the family tradition. Yeah. It appears that the government in Ravenna excused the destruction, the destruction of Goss as retribution for those print those Gallic provinces rebelling. So basically they went, look, we're not going after them because that's fine. That's your punishment for rebelling. I I, I feel like this is a way to, to not appear as pathetic as they were. They were had no intentions of stopping them at all. Oh, yeah. Well, if they've, you know, if they've had military troubles in the past, as pointed out by their previous episode, it's, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's just a convenient way to say, well, at least we're not spending Roman lives. Yeah, exactly. In 414, he took up residence in the city of Narbonne, and he did something that sent shockwaves across the empire in a little bit different fashion than what Alaric did. What do you think that it was? Oh, different. My first thought was he was going to destroy a city, but shockwaves. What does he do? Put down another rebellion? <laughs> well, in the face of repeated demands for the return of Gala to her brother, Atolf went, look, you're not you're have clearly no interest in making an agreement with me so i'm gonna take her hand in marriage she is <laughs> he is becoming the first barbarian to marry into the royal family i'm sure that only stings a little bit just a little bit that's that's a statement right there According to Zosimus, despite Ravenna's outrage, the daughter of Theodosius submitted without reluctance to the desires of the conqueror, a young and valiant prince who yielded to Alaric in loftiness of stature, but who excelled in a more attractive qualities of grace and beauty. Like I was saying earlier in the episode when you were asking about age. Yeah. Okay. So, but... I uh, I sense a little a small amount of bias here. So, yeah, is it Stockholm syndrome? Remember, she's been with them for a long time now, like at least two years. Either that, or it's just like a a level of just like, well, things aren't going to get any better for me. A lack of, I guess, struggling or resistance as yeah. an enthusiastic you know swoon yeah <laughs> yeah well the other thing is like 
it was very clear she was being treated well. And usually hostages at the, those times are still in your court. They're still part of all the courtly things that are going on. They're part of the courtly feasts. They're not, yes, they're a little bit lower in like the court and stuff, but like they're still treated very well. And they actually still talk to the king and they still have like the ear and eye of the king. So she may have seen all of the incompetence of Ravenna and was like, you know what? These guys suck. I'm going to go with these guys who actually kind of know what they're doing. Yeah, that's true. I would not want to go back to Ravenna after everything else that's been going on with this gang. Yeah. And she also hates, hates Constantius, who is Honoris's principal advisor. Constantius really has a thing for her and she does not have a thing for him it it definitely feels a lot more like to spite the uh well i guess closer relatives and government old government yeah yeah your old faction so remember that atolf is the brother-in-law to alaric so at some point he was married to alaric's sister we don't know if she was set aside if she died previously we don't even get her name like, we didn't get Alaric's wife's name. So we find out later in later events that he, his first wife and him had many children. But that's all we know. Notable or not, we'll find <laughs> out maybe in a later episode. Yeah. Back to the bride and groom. The marriage between Atoff and Placidia was consummated in 414. We have a lot of details of this wedding from the historian Olympiodorus, which is quite odd for the time. Like, they just had a bunch of weird details about this one event. It's kind of interesting. Placidia was adorned like a Roman empress and was placed on the throne. The king of the Goths, dressed in the attire of a Roman general, sat to her side according to the Roman customs at the time which honored the princess. He really wanted to make sure, like, he is honoring her, And that, at least make it look like that. And that, you know, oh, I am Roman too. I think he has kind of the Alaric, you know, I want to be part of Rome. (laughs) The Roman complex. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's such a great, oh, that's fantastic. The nuptial gift from Atoff to his bride, according to the customs of the Goths, were rare and magnificent spoils of her country. She was given chests full of gold and precious stones of in, inestimable value that was laid down before her by 50 noble youths dressed in silken robes. It paints a great picture. Like, that's kind of cool we have these kind of straight up details. But also, that had to be a weird feeling for her. I'm wondering, what are what are you thinking of all of this? You're being gifted gold and gems that were taken from your fellow countrymen <laughs> and maybe even her old residence in Rome when they pillaged it. Yeah, that was that was my ring a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that. <laughs> oh, I got it back. Well, thank you. But yeah, I don't know. It, it probably is just kind of uh, yeah awkward, but at least it's like, well, at least that's not me. Yes, yeah, I could see that. Alaric's former puppet emperor Attalus was still alive, and he sang in the wedding. It is said that he was actually a skilled musician. 
again, a very odd detail. It, it's 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 kind of cool we get this stuff. I am truly amazed though that he is alive. This does not happen in ancient Rome. If you are proclaimed emperor or you are thought to be a proclaimed emperor or there's some prophecy that you're going to be emperor, you are assassinated as fast as possible. I'm amazed he's still alive. Yeah, well, sometimes you get lucky. And again, I think that you'll never be Alaric <laughs> is that the man was also a walking good luck charm. So, yeah. Yeah, that is true. Gibbon says in his own Victorian way that the barbarians enjoyed the insolence of their triumph. Never before had a goth married a Roman noble princess. I think that's good. You know, that is that is a special kind of shockwave. Yes. He was given a different set of talents. He's given charms. So that's he, right. He charmed he's he's been way. given good looks, according to historical sources, which, you know, not many people, I feel like, can get that distinguishing honor. That is true. You don't hear that often. Like, oh, yeah, this person was so good looking. That's not often talked about a lot. Sometimes it is. <laughs> a real, yeah, just like a, re- a real 10. <laughs> So obviously this marriage really isn't of love, even if the two individuals seem to care for each other. Like this is clearly a great political move by Adolf. He's no Alaric, but that is a great stroke of genius. Like he knows that the Romans will never allow a Gothic king to rule as emperor, but they might be persuaded to submit to the rule of the great Theodosius' daughter. That or Honorus would finally acknowledge him as sovereign of Gaul, or at least commander-in-chief there. Yeah, enough that you could get a piece of land and not be bothered, at least not on the the war front. Maybe the uh, political front, for sure. But Yeah, because like, whether Honorus likes it or not, he's part of the family line now. If they have a child, they he is now part of that royal dynasty. Something tells me that Atolf did not ask for a blessing on this marriage. Uh, I, I can't, <laughs> can't imagine. Normally, if they ask for permission, too, I, I can't imagine. And uh, I don't think she gave him a dowry either, you know, to come to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> really smashing the the traditions of the time. I know these. This is these are the real shock waves. Yes, between this episode and like last, it appears like the Goths are really obsessed with being legally, ro- you know, recognized as Rome, even though their Rome's power is not that great. Rome must have had such a hold on people's imagination despite crumbling. Like the the clearly the foundation is cracked and is is got a ticking time bomb on it. For for like how we can see nowadays, but for them, it still was this great power that they're still trying to get in bed with. Well, if you're in Europe, everything at one point was under Roman influence. It was so big, I can't imagine it didn't shape the perceptions of everyone who lived there during that time. Yeah. Unfortunately for the Goths, Atoff was greatly mistaken. 
the Ravenna court let it be known that she disgraced herself by submitting to the marriage with the barbarian. Some patriarchal bullshit right there. <laughs> A woman can't make her own choices. No, God forbid. Again, we saw that in House of the Dragon last episode, episode four for purposes we saw that like men can go ahead and do whatever they want but the minute a woman gets a little thing of what she wants the whole realm goes nuts yeah that sounds like a mood (laughs) (laughs) we can't we say modern modern day (laughs) yes yes honoris was ruled by constantius he was very jealous of atoll because he lusted after gala to become his wife he's kind of like a weird controlling psychopath like i must have her is just the vibe i'm getting from him as i read through these sources so one night while atoll was relaxing with his wife he received a messenger that came to him urgent with news of roman ships on the horizon blockading his ports cutting off their supplies So while he was coming up with a plan on how to deal with this, another messenger came by and and told him that Constantius himself is collecting legions to take Atolf out. (laughs) Atolf and Gala probably completely understood why Constantius was doing this. (laughs) It is amazing the lengths guys go for a girl, even if she does not want him. The story... And a lot of stories, again, were very uh, patriarchal. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, yeah, she's she's kind of stuck with this one. But I, I think there's been at least a few stories where people go a little bit too far. Yeah. Granted, marriages were also a bit more significant, and scoring good boy points with Rome and returning, I guess, well, it's a disgraced daughter at this point, according to. Ravenna court, but yeah, according to him himself, Constantius himself, who like leads the, you know, the Ravenna court. Just, yeah, maybe, maybe it's to just kind of score the, the political victory points. You get your, you know, you get her back and then, uh, you know, you also get to take out Atolf at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Cement that power if it works. But at the same time, there's a reason like they didn't leave Ravenna. By doing this, he left Italy with minimal defenses. So someone from the east could come in and just come after Italy and there's nothing he could do because he's got a one track mind all the way to southwestern France. Well, we'll see if they get punished. Yes. In danger of being starved out and threat of the impending tech. Atolf and his Goss packed up and retreated further south, heading over into Spain, and they left poor Emperor, quote-unquote, Attalus to fend for himself. He tried to escape by the sea, but there was a blockade, so he was captured and sent to Ravenna. Again, they didn't kill him. I'm just shocked by this. But... They, they made sure that he had consequences. They cut off two of his fingers for each time he usurped Honoris, and then he was banished to the Lapari Islands, where he lived out the rest of his days. I wonder if they, like, start with, like, the most, like, important fingers, like, index finger, but they start with, like, you know, the pinky, which is still really important, but... Yeah, I sprained my pinky and i learned how important it is especially when you have typing for a job yeah well especially for lifting too yes yeah also how sad is this atlas guy right (laughs) yes like they they 
don't even see him as much of a threat, but they're like, you know, they give him the the proverbial slap on the wrist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emphasis on proverbial because yeah. got a little more than that. But oh, that yeah, hurt. just all you get off with. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. You just got two of your figures chopped off. It's and fine. an island vacation. Yeah, yes. Napoleon came back from an island vacation. That is true. That is true. Like multiple times, right? I can't remember if it was multiple times. For sure once he did. I'm pretty sure, yeah, he was like one of those guys where it's like he gets banished and then just for some reason keeps finding his way back. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, remember the good time, guys. Let's let's have the good times again. So yeah, similar deal. <laughs> but but uh, Atlas did not have any good times. Like <laughs> he, he was always pretty weak as a puppet. Not minus two digits. Yes. <laughs> he didn't have any good times. <laughs> So guess what time it is, Scott? It's time for the barbarians to rage. Rage! They return to their old glorious form like the good old days and plundered and pillaged the cities and villages and towns all out of their exit out of Gaul into the Pyrenees and uh, into Spain. For some of them, it must have been like breathing in fresh air. Like, oh, I have freedom again. Get crossing Spain. Pyrenees, that's a uh, mountain range, isn't it? Yes, it is the mountain range that is between France and Spain. That's what I thought. So literally a breath of fresh air. Yes. That yes. nice mountain air. Oh, yes. Delicious. Atoff quickly captured Barcelona from the Vandals and made that his royal residence. So I have to say, being in Barcelona, this is a really good place to plant roots. You have the protection of the north by the Pyrenees, and you have a great port city for trading all of their loot. And Rome's, like, naval power can't reach too much further that way, otherwise they're going to start having issues of their own. So once he and his wife settled into Barcelona, they had some significant downtime. Enough downtime that his wife becomes pregnant and a son is born. He has given the imperial name Theodosius after his illustrious grandfather. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Also, also great. You know, we have an heir. That's that's important, too. It is. I'm so happy we got an heir born. You know, the, the, the rule is secure. There's a lot of pressure placed on this young Theodosius. He um, Honorus is childless, and this would make Theodosius heir to the purple, which would create a Roman Gothic dynasty. This had to be Boy. the biggest middle finger to Ravenna. <laughs> I can't wait for this kid to die young. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh, you are so correct. Unfortunately, <laughs> a Roman gothic line does not happen history could have been very different if it did who knows rome could have lasted western rome anyway could have lasted much longer but like most babies in this era young theodosius was taken from this world as quickly as he entered it he was buried with a great mournful ceremony and placed into a solid silver coffin for burial so not not great. You'd have to be like, well, I guess we got to start trying again. For <laughs> this is why you have spares when you're trying to get you know heirs to your dynasty. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, 
anytime you're de- trying to deal with royalty, you're hoping one that they don't just die of natural causes, let alone human intervention or just straight up misfortune. Yes, and and birth at these times again, as shown in House of the Dragon, is is deadly. It is. They said a quote, and it's it's a great quote. The the knights like their battle, they you know fight on the battlefield with their swords and stuff like that. The women's battlefield is the birthing bed. That's where they sacrifice themselves, which is dead on. Oh yeah, yeah. It it really is just such a thing that a society takes for granted today that i mean not to say that birth is risk-free because uh it sure isn't no it is not but you know compared to the years of you know a thousand years ago though a lot different yeah i mean even in the last 10 years it's crazy like i remember one of my mentors growing up his wife like had some serious complications and the doctor said yeah if this was 10 years ago we could not have saved her like we're still getting into how you know but it's really bad at that time yeah medical technology really is just such a such a game changer for everything and Mm -hmm. also the the sanitation right yeah we can and the sanitation preservation you know we could have done a much better job today of preserving those heads um, <laughs> yes we could have proper embalming for those our progress has has gone so much and i think that's really something that is distorting our view of the past a lot like i said mm-hmm. i i couldn't tell you how long it takes to go from france to italy or from or, or cross it going from italy crossing into spain right yeah i couldn't tell you because we have you know, planes and trains and automobiles. Exactly. <laughs> and they, you know, they had feet and horses and yeah. carts. Yeah. We could have, like, theoretically for us, we could, like, have drivers switch off in a car and drive through the night. They cannot, one, drive through the night because that's, da- like, quote-unquote drive through the night because that's really, really dangerous. And that's... And that's the thing with history is, especially as we get on with this podcast, is we got to remember, we're looking at this through like a lot modern lens, but it's to compare it, you you really need to kind of bring your head and try and be in the shoes of these people. And it's really impossible because it's like, it's all almost like an alien species at this time for how big of a difference we have it. I mean, yes, the same basis needs are still there but a lot of different things are have changed since then mm-hmm. so now that we got that uh, out of the way rant out of the way shortly after his son's death in 415 the king was inspecting his stables near barcelona palace basically he's doing his rounds like a good king does make sure everything's in order one of his followers came up to him, made some small talk, and then thrusted a dagger into him. Probably whispered something along the line of, this is for Saros, and left the king to die in the stable floor. How dr- how anticlimactic. I know. His brother came to his aid as soon as he saw the king in a pool of his own blood. Apparently, in the king's dying breath, he charged his brother to make peace with the empire and send Gala back home to Ravenna. Lame. This is a time for spite. 
Yeah, I, I somehow think he was just found dead in the stables. I can't imagine that, oh, he got there just in time. Yeah. And according to the sources, the assassin was named, oh boy, it's E-B-E-R-W-U-L-F. I'm going to go with Eberwolf. Eberwolf? Eberwolf? Eberwolf. I like Eberwolf. That's fun. He was one of Saurus's loyal followers that Atoff unfortunately accepted into his ranks after the death of Saurus. Because remember, Saurus was only, he only killed Saurus's retinue. He still had tons of goths behind him. And he decided to take them into his own ranks. This is why, it is, as sad as it is, like when you have change of power in these times, it's really necessary to purge all of those followers of an opponent that you have killed you need to make sure they're no more threat to you and this is why right here so even though we're like oh you're killing family and children like that's bad there's a reason behind it it is very very dangerous to keep these people alive oh yeah well i've also learned that lesson at a uh, macro level from uh playing way too much like civilization and now age of empires <laughs> yes <laughs> you can't you can't let them you can't let them fester C- correct you need you need to put it down before it gets anywhere by many accounts it appears that gala was truly heartbroken over this loss maybe the marriage even if it was for political reasons they grew to love each other that is the reign of atolf what do you think of his story he'll never be Alaric but yeah in light of everything still pretty good I turned out a lot better than what I thought it would and I figured it was going to be similar to the classic tale of uh monarch builds impressive empire and then the next heir usually their child proceeds to ruin it (laughs) (laughs) yes yes that happens over and over and over again yeah, to me, it felt like an Alaric sequel. It's okay, but it's not as good as the original, you know? When sometimes the first going. movie does really, really good, and they're like, well, we got to put out a sequel to capture this. And it's like, eh, meh. He did marry a Roman princess as a goth. That's pretty, that's pretty badass. Like, that is up there in terms of things, like, in terms of achievements. Oh, it's a power play, for sure. Yeah. Like, I don't think that Alaric could have really done anything like that. No. Again, good looks, apparently. But also, there is a certain level of, uh, you, you know, this is with a grain of salt, but like the Machiavellian-esque-ness of being able to inherit an empire, I guess. It's not an yeah. empire, but you're inheriting a form of rulership where you're viewed as in a less negative light just by being not the main man basically Mm -hmm. you know hey that those people who sacked rome you know that was like my brother i mean i was there but and i took part (laughs) in it (laughs) i wasn't the main man you know (laughs) so it, it could have been a little bit of that but i think you know maybe he just had the uh the political chops and not the uh warlord choppy chops Yeah, it actually does seem like, well, we'll get into the, in the ranking. It, 
Well, let's get into the ranking. Are you ready to rate them? I think that'll kind of go into this. All right. All right. So the real Game of Thrones. So like to continue on to that point, I feel like Alaric was all about power and destruction and like just this presence that was just oppressive and you had to deal with it versus Atolf was more of that. He wanted to work within the Roman empire and kind of manipulate himself through that because through, especially because he was charming. It seemed like. Yeah. I think that just a really impressive and devious kind of guy. Well, devious is maybe not the best word, but the ability to potentially recognize that he doesn't him or potentially that his followers maybe just don't have like the strength or what it takes to be able to truly like completely decimate Rome. Again, Mm -hmm. you can't leave them half standing. Well, or you shouldn't. Apparently he didn't learn that lesson well enough. (laughs) No, he did not. (laughs) But maybe he thought that, you know, he wouldn't be able to fully extinguish Rome. So I think there, there's some smarts in there. Just, I think he used his God given talents. I, I would have to agree. How long do you think he lasted? Oh, you know, it feels like he's been around a bit, like probably like six to eight years. It really kind of feels like. Wow. It, uh, nope. Uh, I would have to say around four years. He was, he took over in four, 10 to 411, somewhere in there and ended his and was assassinated in 415. So about four to five years, a little wow. bit less than that. So busy boy uh yeah he was, was kind of like a president but <laughs> did it did his four-year term <laughs> yeah he just didn't get elected the second time well yeah he got de-elected pretty hard yeah so like for scoring points on this he managed to marry a roman princess and he got her by many accounts to have actually affection for him he kept the goss around they didn't just dissipate after Alaric like a lot of times in history you have this great leader like the Huns for an example you have this great leader and then they die and nothing becomes their people the Goths end up like he kind of solidifies the power of the Gothic monarchy as a force to be reckoned with within the Roman Empire alrighty so what do you think you should give him for a score of the real Game of Thrones I think I got to give him at least a little bit of good boy points on this one. He obviously wasn't as impressive as Alaric. You'll never be Alaric. (laughs) Oh, poor guy. Boy, you know, it it really does just kind of speak to me as a level of royal, uh, you know, politics that he engaged in with. I'd say more of like a surgical knife rather than just a, yes. a blunt axe. So yes, I'm inclined to give him like, Hmm, I, I, I'm inclined to give him like a seven or an eight, maybe. Oh boy. I like him. I like him. Wow. That's high. I have to give him big points for marrying a Roman princess. That is the, that is their game of Thrones. Like that is, the, that is a power play. That is a <laughs> big, big play. He was a little more diplomatic than Alaric, but again, not to great success. It, he just, 
the both of them could not figure out how to get in bed with Rome beside well he kind of did in a different way but you know <laughs> nice uh, <laughs> but other than that they really I don't know he kind of influenced the Ravenna court but not that's true yeah you have me rethink really, this not really like the only impressive thing to me is marrying the princess that's it and that's from Alaric's range, they captured her. Yes, he took the steps, you know, to do it and actually had the balls to actually go ahead and marry her. But it's not like maybe he captured her, but they don't really say who captured her at all. It could have been a group of other ones. And, you know, she was just his prisoner. I still like him a lot for this. Um, yeah, and definitely the marrying the Roman princess is such a it's such a swing but also yeah. he did kind of start revving up the rage machine uh that you know his brother being so well known for i think that like he you know i'll dock him down to like i'll still give him like a six though i i i, I think he did like he had the the plans laid he he finally started kind of coming into his own a little bit because you have to think first couple you know the first couple of years are kind of mopey a little bit, but yeah. it sounded like he was really kind of starting to pick up speed, kind of come into his own a bit. And of course, you you know, plans don't always pan out the way you want them to. Yeah, he did end up making Barcelona his royal residence. And that's kind of a big power move right there as like staking claim on a part and saying, you know, this is uh, we're not just moving people you know it's just not a bunch of nom nomad wow it took me too long nomadic <laughs> nomadic people they actually put like a little bit of ground on so i'll give them a little for that in barcelona is actually a really smart location i was going to give them only three but i think i'll bump it up to five because it's nice to know i can give you the <laughs> a little bit of mercy uh, a little bit of mercy it's just yeah he he wasn't as savvy i think as alaric or as powerful like and he just did not have that power that alaric did i'm so sorry for people who are sick of us comparing him to alaric but again history is not in a vacuum You'll never be your brother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, all right. All righty. Royal mischief. He did the patented barbarian switch of allegiances on a dime. Albeit poorly. <laughs> poorly and the fact that he was kind of spurned. So, I mean, yes, but no. He really made it a uh, a point to try and like worm his way into the roman palace you know kind of stuff like he did not try he did not just flat out do the <laughs> alaric thing of just rampaging whenever he didn't get his way he did kidnap a roman princess or at least was part of that and he married her that is big points to me on royal mischief like kidnapping uh, a, a royalty and then marrying that royalty that is some big 
It is. It, it also like, does tie into the to the politics it, as well. It does in the politics, but also on like a mischief, on like a that is you true know, antics level. It's it's a little bit on a scandalous level. Holy crap! That sent shockwaves across the empire by doing that nonsense. Stick it to Ravenna. I I I really enjoyed that, but that's it. I don't know. I'm gonna give him a three. No, no, I'm giving him a two because I don't even think he kidnapped the princess. He did marry her, and I'm going to have to give him two points for that. You that, want to give pretty... him a two? Yeah, I'm giving him a two. You know, Atelf really has worn on me a little better than I thought he would. I feel like he deserves better than a two, but in my heart of hearts, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give him a four because I like him. But also, <laughs> but also, you know, it, it really is like when your entire identity and rulership hinges on one entirely scandalous marriage. I think that it's such a scandalous thing that it's it's so hard to overlook it. I think if you, we're going to play history, what ifs, if his kid would have survived and stayed and then he became the next roman emperor <laughs> that would have scored major points but he didn't <laughs> yeah that's true and that's yeah again i mean if if it was a lot more successful it's hindsight being 2020 yeah he would have yeah. probably gotten like the 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 10 out of 10 almost oh, right yeah like yeah. Ma- man who marries his way to you know have his lineage you know, be the the yeah. gothic uh, Roman royalty. Yeah, he would have gotten big on uh, Game of Thrones, too. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he, he would have gotten his own character yeah. and chapter. Oh, yes, definitely. All right, for religious passion, I got nothing. There was nothing in the sources about religion for him. I He probably was religious because they all were. They all were not the Nicene Catholic. Not the... But- uh, Aryan was it? They were the Aryan, yes, yeah, they were the Aryan. So, but I only know that because that's what the Visigoths were for a yeah. long time as Aryan. So I got nothing. I'm gonna have to give them zero. I heard nothing, saw nothing, read nothing. Yeah, this is called religious passion, not did this man believe? Yeah. So yeah, I'm inclined to give a zero. Yeah. Alrighty. Alignment. You're, I am always going to defer to you on this alignment thing, and then I'm going to figure it out from there since you're the D&D master. That's right. I got I got my, my dungeon master authority. Yes, you do. Uh, I think definitely on the lawful side. Well, that's a thing. Lawful, I'll say lawful just because definitely tried to weasel his way more so than brute force. It feels lawful despite the fact that ultimately was kind of ragey a little bit at the end there, but lawful, uh, but you know, what's the alignment here? You know, is it good? I, you know, good, evil. He could be I think so, neutral. He could almost be like a true neutral, but like, I think when they went to rampage, I think that was out of sheer necessity. Yeah. So, I mean, that's still not lawful though. That it, it wasn't really part of, I guess, his his leadership. He he did have them do it, but it really felt that it feels like everything was just very expedient about his 
his rule, uh, you know, yes. which is to say convenient and what appears to be good at the time. Here's also how he can't be lawful. He married the princess without any permission. So like you're that's that's a chaotic move right yeah, there. It, in, it, yeah, in my opinion. That's, that's a tough one. I, I, I feel like it's just I think he just might just be the blandest of the bland, the, the true neutrals. Really? What evil did he do? I because I'm I if you do something out of necessity, I can't brand that as evil. I brand that yeah. as survival. I think he was more on the good side. I think he'd be a neutral good because he tried and tried to like peacefully get in with the Romans. And he, you know, he kept trying. He did good by his people. He he kept it. He kept the power of, you know, his people. They didn't just disappear from him, even though we, we've we been dunking on him all episode. I'm going to have to give him good. So I'll give him just three like points. Neutral, neutral yeah, good. Neutral good for three. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I'll give him that. So six out of ten. That's right. Okay, Stability. I, they were nomadic for a long time. He did end up settling into Barcelona, where he was then assassinated. He, during his reign, I can't see too much stability. Well, four years is not a very long time to to do that. I think yeah. that because he waffled around between basically waffled between sides and effectively trying to cozy up to Rome again. It was a lot of, he gets a lot of gold stars for trying yeah, <laughs> like a lot of cozying up, but never really co- accomplishing the task and ultimately just still having enemies in so. those elementary report cards. It's like the <laughs> a plus for effort, but like a, a D for the actual grade. Yeah. Yeah, he gets the A for effort. So an A for effort out of five to me, yeah, he gets like a a two or a one. He like he he has an A for effort. Yeah, I'm gonna give him a one. Well, be, yeah, just I'm not giving very... him a zero. I'm giving him a zero. I can't. He they moved their way, and yeah, you can be stable as a nomadic group like the Mongols, but. They were never stable and he was never in any sort of all their, you know, they can breathe now type deal. They always had to keep moving. They were never any place long enough. And stability is by creating heirs. And, you That's know, true. he had an heir for all of 10 seconds. Proverbially. <laughs> I... Like as much as like that comes in the next, uh, you know, point of dynasty that also comes in stability, like in, in again, House of the Dragon, there's some issues because there is no male heir during the current king's reign that yeah. relates to stability. So I'm yeah, I guess have there... to give him zero. Yeah, uh, you, you might be on the right track. I guess, you know, now that I think back, there really wasn't a moment where he was stable at one point 
it was just conflict, but just where he was not a warlord. Instead, he was just a weasel. Correct. We were were you we were like used we just came off of this big boastful Alaric who like was chaotic and unstable in his own way. But then you have Atolf who was just st- unstable because he was just meh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you convinced me. So he gets a zero and a zero for a total of zero. You'll never be Alaric. <laughs> well, Alaric wasn't stable either. Yeah, but we at least gave him something. He gets nothing. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Dynasty. When he was assassinated, he left his wife in a very precarious spot. It's an unfortunate event, but he was not able to carry out a Roman Gothic line. He That was a missed opportunity there. Again, it's not... It's. I mean, it is his fault and it's not his fault. He got assassinated. He couldn't do that, but we, we got a grade on what is, not what if. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's a there's too much discussion. Another zero. <laughs> no, I think you have to give some points because he does land the Visigoths in Spain, where they will be for a very, very long time. He brings them to there. So if it wasn't for Is that, that not, he and, could and not have... to backtrack. Is that not stability in its own way? During the rain, I don't think so. But because I have a little bit of hindsight, again, we we can we can grade as in if we didn't see anything. But I, I I'm going to give a little bit of, you know, the ba- background information and some of that stuff that I know of. And I know the Visigoths rule Spain for a long time. Therefore, he brought them there. I have to give him some dynasty points, but I can't give him stability because just because you brought them there doesn't mean you were stable when you were there. Yeah, that's true. But he also did not do maybe it's it's hard to judge, but like a fantastic job of, you know, again, creating the, the structure or, the, you know, like the dynasty, right? Like it sounds yeah, like correct. he, he kind of died and the ball dropped and someone just happened to pick it up, not necessarily by his design. We don't even know. Like currently in our point of the story, we have no idea. There's a power vacuum and power vacuums are often when it gets fun. (laughs) It doesn't sound sound good to me. No, I'm going to give him one because he does bring the Visigoths to Spain. And that's a huge thing. One out of ten. Yeah. Okay, that's true. This this being an out of ten does warrant a little more. Um. I think he did a pretty rotten job. I agree. <laughs> Some of it was not his choice. I like him. But yeah, one is as low as I'll go. I, I, If it were out of five, it'd be a zero all the way. Oh, yeah. But, you know. Okay. So something tells me you want to hear the total. Oh, well... Before we get to yeah, total, is he a high king like Alaric, <laughs> a lesser <laughs> lord? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> or burned on the pyre? Obviously, he's Yordo Alaric. <laughs> well, been banning yeah. the mantra. <laughs> uh, burned on the pyre because. 
He's, wow, uh, you're gonna that's burn where he him on the pyre. That, that's that's well, he gets stabbed at the end of the story. No, it's uh, <laughs> he's not even a lesser lord. You, I thought you. No, liked he him. he does okay. I <laughs> I I like him. It's it, it just really is a tough comparison. Where where we had such a strong start, I and then know we did. Now we we have this man it's this, not gonna get handsome much better. handsome man <laughs> so no we'll have to get somewhere in the middle but like pretty low i think he's got great sense for mobility spain is a pretty solid place to to move to because mm-hmm. i think putting distance between you and rome Maybe one of the smarter things that anyone who is not friends of Rome could do. <laughs> that is true. Yes. So what what do you think? Lesser Lord or Burned on the Pyre? We want somewhere in the middle, like Lousy Warlord. He gets his own. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where's your title of mediocrity? <laughs> That's essentially what to be a lesser lord is. Yeah. But he's like a lesser lord of like a really, really low like fiefdom. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a castle that's crumbling at the at. He is Lord of Potato. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty, so he narrowly escapes the the pyre, but he's pretty insignificant. Alrighty, so we've been dissing on him compared to Alaric. What are the points compared to him and Alaric? All right. So we're, we don't deviate too far from each other on our rough opinions of him. Me giving him 14 to your 11 <laughs> for a total of 25. And that's out of 100. We grade harshly here. Oh, yes, we do. Wow. Because remember, this is out of 100 total, but 50 divided amongst the two of us. Yeah. He's getting like l- about a quarter of what they could be receiving. So, and actually in this case, it's exactly a quarter, 25 points uh, yeah. compared to Alaric's 56. Yeah. And Alaric even is like, I think he's going to be lower once we start getting into some of the, like if, when we get into, this will be way later down the road, but like Queen Isabella, the Cath- Catholica um, in Spanish, th- th- she, hits all of those points that's going to score big time but yes currently compared to like alaric 56 yeah he's he's there well you really can't compare the whole no it's hard to compare the two just because you know one is just like a very i'd say established monarch or Mm -hmm. you know they're in a very established kingdom kingdom whereas we're comparing nomads. So oh, yes. they're kind Correct. of already at a disadvantage, but yeah. you know, that doesn't mean that they aren't great in their own times. It just <laughs> means that by our scales and how we're judging all monarchs yeah. uh, under the same palette, we're going to have a little bit of, it's probably skew. I'd imagine. Yeah. That oh yeah. The numbers creep up as we, as we run along. So before they dip for a little bit, <laughs> Mm, yeah (laughs) but yes well that's it for for atolf what what did you uh, you seem to like him and uh i 
I'm surprised this podcast was as interesting as we got. I th- I mean, I think it was kind of interesting as we were talking about it, because when I was researching him, I was like, boy, this is kind of a bummer, <laughs> especially coming off of all of Alaric's material where the sources are either praising him up and down or they're scolding him and sending him to the nine hells. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that it's almost relieving in its own way, one, because it's just so much less dense mm-hmm. than, yeah. than Alaric that it yes. does give us a little bit of a chance to breathe. But also I think it's more fun because apart from that, Alaric has so many moments mm-hmm. and this is going to, I guess, Alaric part two. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Atolf just really had like, you know, one, or I guess you could say like two really like great moments yeah three if you count the heads uh i love the heads (laughs) like he had he had so few moments that it's really easy to kind of like catch all the stuff and they're all just they're all notable and special in their own way and obviously he holds one of the spiciest marriages of all time oh yes very notable for only a four-year term yeah, well, that's it for this week. Uh, well, Scott, I hope you enjoyed this story. I hope the audience enjoyed the story. What do you think is next for the Gothic people, Scott? Do you think, how are they going to handle the situation, this assassination? Who's going to fill the power vacuum? Hmm. It feels like with a power vacuum, there could be kind of like a fight or assassination attempts or stuff on the, on the, uh, the queen, or I guess, you know, the um, the bride whose name I've already forgotten. Gala. Um, Gala yeah, because I know they said, like, sent back to Rome, which was a, at least a wish per the, you know, whoever discovered his corpse or his soon-to-be corpse. Yeah. History is great. Uh, so we don't know what hap- what's going to happen there, but if her royalty is still any source of desire or power, that sounds like a central point of either knives or weddings, but yes. Yeah. Lots of, lots of infighting and they don't strike me as like a lot of like backstabby connivy. Like it's like a, we're all going to just like, we're going to, we're going to, almost like brawl it out it feels like i agree these people very much feel like power is like it the might is power in this sense and it's not they don't do as much of the scheming as we will get later on or even rome rome is all about scheming and these guys it's just kind of like ooh rah rah whoever's you know the biggest baddest wolf is the king yeah I love power vacuums in shows, like in shows and stories. It's like when the fun begins. It is when all hell breaks loose. It, it's the best time when when a king dies and there's no heir or there's a weak heir. Like is about to happen in House of the Dragon. I'm sorry. I keep bringing it up, but I really love the show. It's so good for now. Maybe someday. well as always thank you for coming along with us on our quest for power Uh, special thanks for the constant inspiration by the rexy family of podcasts please check those out if you like this sort of podcast they are much more refined than we currently are we will get there don't worry but they're pretty solid 
If you liked our story, please tell a friend, family member, uh, post it on Facebook. It really, really helps us out, like, grow. And hopefully, if you guys like this, we can start building more and more content for you. Hopefully, we'll get up a website soon. That way, we can post the rankings and we can compare and contrast all of the different monarchs in the reigns. My wife loves data, so we'll be able to... (laughs) have all sorts of data cuts and stuff like that for the true nerds out there if you have any comments or questions please message us on facebook until next time the king is dead long live the king